Matt Carney. Here we are. My man, this is the first time we're uh, we're talking. Is it really? I don't feel like that. I know, right? I've, I've seen you live quite a few times, so uh, I'm grateful for the time. Um, I've seen you in the crowd at a show. <laughs> How awesome is that? <laughs> Anaheim House of Blues, I think you're right yeah. center. Yeah, I don't know. I have a yeah. weird memory. Where I remember a lot of show pictures in my head. That's exactly where, where it was. Um, I, although I, I saw you once, um, and you get mad how I pronounce it. Uh, the neighborhood I grew up in is called the Oregon District in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, you're butchering it. I know, hey, man, it was <laughs> it's not my fault. I, I didn't do it. <laughs> anyway, um, man, I was hoping to talk to you about you know I've do, this is my last. Um, Ryan and I have been doing these quarantine conversations throughout 2020, and this is the last one of the year. And I'm wondering how, as a musician, and also as a family man, how, how has this whole pandemic been treating you? Uh, I mean, you know, it's definitely like a tale of two worlds, two cities that, quote, it's uh, some days it's incredibly amazing and other days it's challenging. Um, weirdly, it's been, I almost feel bad saying this, but because of some people's experience this year with all the tough thing that's going on, but it's been like a weird pause in my whole life that's been um very rewarding and satisfying actually and we i we had finished a, an acoustic tour this um spring and we knew my wife was pregnant so she was going to have a kid this march and we had our daughter violet so we had already kind of shut down the year so i was fortunate that we had already kind of set to i'm just going to go create i'm going to be in the studio but i'm going to be home and so it's it's worked out for me just to have this pause. It's been a long time since I've had a pause this long in my musical journey. I feel like a lot of people have felt like this forced pause. And, and for many of us, we didn't know that we needed it in a way, right? And uh, I mean, obviously, there's there's a whole lot going on that is unfortunate. You know, my, my brother back in Ohio lost his job. And I, I've met and, and known quite a few people whose lives have been turned upside down from this. But even those people have found some solace in in the pause quite often. And uh, I, I was just thinking as a musician, obviously you know, a, a lot of what you do involves being around large crowds of people. And there's no idea, at least I don't have any idea what the landscape is going to look like in the future. We, we had a tour with Live Nation this year that, that got canceled um, for obvious reasons. But what does it look like going into 2021 and, and beyond that? I, I'm not really sure, but I, I've also gotten comfortable with being okay with not being sure if that makes yeah. any sense yeah i i you know i've toured a lot so again I, my answer i feel like comes from this place that i am privileged to even have this opinion a little bit but like i've toured for so long i've toured for 15 years or 16 17 years now and wow i don't like i love playing shows but <laughs> I do like I love it but I mean I've seen the cities I've been to every coffee shop you know that you could ever dream of going to sure. and and so for me I, being home I, you know I'm not as freaked out obviously like financially it's a huge part of what our family does is play shows and um but yeah I don't know I have this weird piece of like I don't well let's as long as this goes I'm cool I'm enjoying being home this is like I haven't taken my um, sweat suit off in like weeks and I'm just writing and creating and that's honestly how I got into music the live thing kind of grew out of that but really my core passion what got me started in the music business was writing and producing songs and that I, I never thought I'd get to play any shows it just kind of happened because people liked 
the songs I was making. And those things that can be really exciting and rewarding and fulfilling at first, they can become obligatory over time. And without us even knowing it, right, it just creeps up. I, I, I've been in a similar situation. I haven't done as much touring as you, but we've done nine tours in the last 10 years. And uh, yeah, at first, it's, it's very exciting. You're, you're driving across the country and you know, a Toyota Corolla. And <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's kind of romantic at first, but then like the eighth lap around, you know, you, get, you make it through Saskatoon and all of a sudden you're, you're like, wait a minute. Um, uh, the the thing that was fulfilling me may, may not be the thing that continues to fulfill me. And I think that's sort of a, a, a lesson. You know, I, I wanted to talk to you today about the two new songs you have out because uh, one of them is called Can't Look Back. And there's a line in there where you talk about there ain't no future in the past. And, and I think quite often that grasping of like, oh, this thing worked really well for this chapter. And we try to continue to sort of replicate that over and over and over. Yeah. And, and for me, that line has a lot to do with maybe regret too, or, um, Mm. like that I, you know, I am this like by nature, I really want to accomplish, to achieve, to, um, I like a task. I like succeeding at things. I like being good at things. If I'm being super honest, like if I'm good at it, I like it, (laughs) which, uh, and, and I think like getting, this this song I wrote about the season of life and, and, and you can look back at, oh man, if I would have put this single out versus that single, or if I would have t- had that conversation versus that one, or I wouldn't have been a jerk there, or if I would have been, um, I don't know, just like you can have regrets as if like we're somehow in this place now because a product of like steps and missteps behind us. And I, I, I don't think that's a healthy worldview. And I've kind of shaken that off of like, this is this is where I am and I'm in the moment because of um, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is like uh, where I was designed to be at this moment and like being present. It's, it's just something I've really been working on and like that voice of, or just maybe accepted. I don't know. Yeah. It's like a, it's been a, a cool journey to not care as much maybe. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think I think that's you know, that sort of indifference is is leads to a, a particular kind of not just confidence, but but satisfaction in a way. Indifference we often think of as a bad thing, uh, which I, I don't at all. I, I think it's it's a superpower in in many ways. There's another line in in that song. You say the years go by like you never planned, and uh, I mean clearly that that line doesn't have to be about this year, but. I remember at the beginning of 2020, it was like, oh, this is the year of perfect vision, you know, and then of course, no one expected 2020 to pan out, you know, this way to take this, this radical turn. But um, of course, the looking back, there's no future in in, in the past, there's in the looking back. Yeah, a lot of stuff turned out how we never planned. And there's the acceptance of that, I feel like is is the only way we can move forward. It's the only way that we can, we can let go because otherwise we're going to get sort of dragged by the past. Yeah. And I, like every time I, so like I just turned in my new record, everything like last night, we we're up till 3am. You wow. know, there's, there's like, you're listening, Oh, there's a little pop there or finalizing little mixes. It always ends up being to the deadline. I don't know what, why I do that. I did the same in college writing English papers, but um, so it's the last minute and we turned it, in and uh there's there's always this feeling of like relief and then finality of what you've 
what you've created is done and the flaws of it are the flaws, the parts that like you couldn't make perfect aren't perfect. And it is this like weird mix of feelings. Um, you know, when you're creating something or in the middle of something or in the middle of a relationship or something, there's always this like potential of what it could be in this like maybe dream of like your vision for it or something, you know, yeah. and then there's the reality of what it becomes. And like, uh, and you have to kind of accept that for what it is. And yeah, that I, I feel like that's all tied together, especially every time I turn an album, I have this like immense feeling of both extremes a lot. I, I feel the same way about books. I just turned in my fifth book uh, earlier this year. And there, as the as more time goes by, I find myself disagreeing with certain stances that I've taken in the past. But to me, that's almost like a sign of, of growth in a way. And... When I look at your music, there is this particular kind of of growth. Um, you've always sounded like Matt Carney since you know, when your first album came out in uh, 2007. I haven't uh, had a choice, man. It's just yeah. it's all I got. <laughs> you say that, but but the, the weird thing is, you've sounded like Matt Carney, but you've also you continue to sound like an evolution of Matt Carney. How are you able to? sound like yourself and still change with the times because I look at each individual sort of body of work from you as it, it certainly stands alone. It still sounds like Matt Carney, but it's, it's almost a different version and updated, you know, a new operating. <laughs> in a way. Uh, that's I like that um, analogy. Uh, I, I think it has to do with my curiosity and um, what keeps me interested in what I do is that is to push into a world that looks exciting to embody. Um, so like my heroes were Paul Simon and, you know, he would like get obsessed with South African local bands and he flew there and made Graceland. And then he got obsessed with like folk from Peru. And then he made rhythm of the saints. And I just, I feel like I love how music can be. I don't know. I, I just, I've played with genre a lot and, and breaking down of those things. And that's kept it interesting for me. Um, there's some risks to that style because you're asking your fan base or the people that listen to you to go along on this journey with you. Sure. Um, and maybe what you gave them before you don't do again that they liked. <laughs> so everyone could have a different favorite album or something and they're, you know, there's something safe to being like a, Jack Johnson or Ray LaMontagne or something that really sticks to a small sonic palette um, over the course of their whole career. And I think there's, there's wisdom and beauty in that too. But for me, I've just, it's always been more interesting to dialogue with kind of pop culture or with my own listening tastes or what I see like is interesting. That's always been more interesting for me to keep me excited about it. You know, I, I think about your first album. I think it was 2007. Uh, Nothing Left to Lose came out, and and, and when, when I I first listened to that CD, it was almost it was kind of too radical for me at the time. And what I mean by that is I was really into singer songwriter music, and I was really into 90s hip hop music. <laughs> and, and then I, I put on this album, I, I, the CD. You know, I, I put the CD in my car, and and. I, I just, I think I set it aside for about a year, but I'm like, what is this? 
and and I said he's trying to do both of those things. I know. And and by the way, you you were kind of Drake before Drake, um, in in many respects. And and there wasn't the sort of genre. Wow, I'm going. Can I make a T-shirt with that? Totally. Minimalist says I was Drake before Drake, guys. Just everybody. For sure. I mean, the thing is, though, like, there wasn't the same genre bending music going on in any sort of meaningful mainstream way. I'm sure there was some experimental avant garde stuff, but you did it in a way. And I think even at the time, the critics didn't know what to do with it either. Right. And what I've loved is you, you didn't seem to ever make music for critics, although a lot of critics have really enjoyed what you do, but you make music for people but also in a way i can tell you make music for yourself and and so you playing around with these different styles um it was always authentic you weren't you weren't copying someone else you were you were making it your own but i i noticed that through that evolution now now it's it's commonplace right for people to mix you know uh, three or four different genres of music but back then there there was something in my brain that sort of wasn't ready for it i wanted to (laughs) compartmentalize in a way well and i think um music was so much more tied to like uh, maybe there wasn't as much homogenization in our cultures but like music was so much was tied so much to the the culture with which it came from so country was still very country like you had to kind of be from some bona fide country place and hip-hop music was like you kind of was pretty like you had to be from some sort of uh, inner city or some like live the real thing. That was like, it was yeah, you very, were from Eugene and making, no, hip-hop. there was no like suburban thing of expression of hip hop music. And, and it was still like you walk into tower and there's the rock section and then the folk section and the rap section and the, and you had to like pick a team that you were on. <laughs> totally. And I grew up in Eugene, Oregon as like a skater kid and loved hip hop music, but loved James Taylor and loved writing. And I just ended up picking up a guitar and then kind of writing my own version, basically because I had limitations. I, I wasn't very good at anything other than just kind of telling a story with my voice. And yeah, it was it was definitely a thing that really people responded to or put people off. I remember Rolling Stone just like, ripped it apart on my first album they're like they're like i don't know how to feel about this you know blah 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 this makes you can't do this you can't like jump between these genres and um and it was schizophrenic maybe a little bit looking back at that record it was it was disjointed at times but i think it caused people to make a decision and i the older i've gotten the more i realize what a thing that is that how how that is a an important factor in art is sometimes to make someone make a decision whether like I hate that or I love that is, is a really powerful thing that and sometimes I've ran away from at other points in my career, like, no, I want to please everybody, but that Mm. it just never seems to work. Can you talk about that? That, that desire to please other people and how that I think often kills the, um, the thing that was satisfying us. It is like the, bane of my existence you know i said i like to be successful i like to achieve i like to do things and and the more you become subservient to that thing you become subservient to people who like what you do or what defines you as achieving and i think i've gone through different seasons of my life being more successful or less successful at that that thing ahead of me of like listening i remember 
you know, it was a lot of flack. My City Black and White record, I look back and I've, I love that record, but I definitely did not do as much spoken word stuff. And I think I was trying to fit into maybe more of a, like a critical perception of what I should be doing. Some of, some of it was I had moved to Nashville and I was really interested in old school, like songwriting and country writing. And so my, my style got a lot simpler in writing. Mm. Um, but I hear it in my young mind, like, oh, maybe there's some fear there. You were scared of doing the wrong thing, where which you weren't on the album before. And then weirdly in Young Love, my next record, I came out, I was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm just going to do what I want. And, uh, you know, there's a song called Chips in the Night that was wildly successful for me. Basically doing the same thing of like, ah, I'm just going to do what I want and like have these weird spoken word verses and these like big pop choruses and acoustic guitar. And so, yeah, every time I've tried to care, um, it d- hasn't worked out well for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, there's a sort of Zen thing about about not caring is is really one of the keys to freedom in a way. And I think the, the whole success thing, I, I don't, I've come to formulate this this year, this, this idea that su- success basically doesn't exist because when we think of success, at least in what we've been acculturated to believe that it has to do with trophies and achievements and, yep. or, or social media followers, or maybe like you know, a, a certain amount of money in the bank account or whatever. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with those things, but I also don't think they increase our happiness or peace or, or tranquility, right? And no. <laughs> and I think I think that the, the sort of craving of an outcome, you know, I'm going to please this person or this group of people, it sort of anchors us to a future that doesn't exist, and it kind of it drags us away from the peace of the present moment. Man, I, I agree. Yeah, there. It's definitely um, a challenging, alluring voice for me at times in my life, and. Uh, on this record especially i set up um a little note it just said like be real and in joy of music those are the two things that i remember when i started i was like you know we're just gonna filter everything through that and then do i love this is this something i want to play for my little brother in the car like that's like that's all i started was when i was excited i just wanted to play get patrick in the car and be like bro check this out and and so I, i tried to go back to that place and really made some tough decisions, which I'm really proud of myself on this record of just like throwing out like potential things. Cause as you have success or certain things like, Oh, well this song worked doing this or that song, we should, we need another one of those or like, Oh, we're well, going to have to play this live. Like, does this work in a room of 3000 people or does this, you know, yeah. there's a lot of like um, other things that music becomes when it's your job and it's 15 years down the road or you have a fan base you're there. You're conscious of like, you know, there's this, body of people that you've met and they're going to hear it and like they can influence you in a negative way and but for this record I was just like I'm going to set out and do my thing and I was weirdly sitting in my garage I've never told anybody this may sound weird but just a couple nights ago I was sitting in my garage and I listened to the whole record through all the way and I was I like this little I have this little putting mat where I like to hit some putts while I'm in there just so I'm not looking at a speaker and I listened the whole record through and I got to the last song and I like had this like reaction just to stand up and like take a bow to myself and i was like laughing i'm like you did it like you did it you you who cares if 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 no one likes this you've succeeded because you really do love every moment of this record yourself and 
uh, I'd never really experienced that at the end of a record. Usually I'm just like ready to pull my hair out and I hate everything and I've lost total vision and need some like a month away from it to gain perspective. So you we'll know, see how this this one works out. Maybe I hate it in a couple of years, but, <laughs> but right now it feels pretty good. The the thing you just said about wanting to play something for your brother, like it, to me, there that resonates so much with me because um, we have a a movie coming out on Netflix on New Year's Day, and uh, my wife still hasn't seen it yet, and like I'm terrified <laughs> in some ways to let her see it, you know, because yeah. like. Her opinion is really the only one that that matters to me. Like everyone else could pan it, and I, I really wouldn't. I, I am I am health I'm healthily detached from it in a way, but there are yeah uh, some people, or especially one person in my case, where it's just like. It, but it, it, also, that's that's not completely healthy either. Being no, making yeah. something for one person either. I yes, and I. It's funny. I'm the same with my wife. She's like, you haven't really been playing me stuff on this record. I'm like, babe, I can't, like, I just, I need my time with it. Like, I love you. I love your opinion. But I just, I can't, I get freaked out if she doesn't like something. or yeah. And I'm like, one, because I respect her so much. But two, also in an unhealthy way, it's like Rick Rubin always talks about, like, an awareness of the audience can hurt its role with the audience. Like, with music like when you're focused on the audience it changes the dynamic of what you're creating versus this kind of pure um journey of trying to f- distill whatever that is in this art form that you're trying to do that you see i don't know yeah that that's like a that's a real struggle and i i this record i didn't play for a lot of people <laughs> well, I mean, it, because in a way, like, I think there's something healthy in that too, because if we start playing it for other people and you know, our antenna goes up, right? Like, what, yeah. what do they think about it? I'm, I'm sort of running after a result if that's happening. And, and that's not success either. That's, that's a type of chasing. You're either chasing the future yeah. or, or the past. And, 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 and in a weird way, this idea of quote unquote success is always bound to a kind of chasing. Yeah. And, and that's attachment. Attachment is suffering. And if you do the math there, then that means you know, suffering is failure. And, and therefore, like, t- to me, uh, the chasing of success almost always equals failure because it, it riddles it with some sort of you know, frenetic discontent. Yeah. I, I, I think there is this form of success maybe like we're talking about where you – like I felt in the, in the garage where I was like, you know, wow, like – sitting there with a glass of wine putting and the album finished. I was like, I did it. Like, but I, I don't know what anyone else is going to think, but I was true to my mission and like, I didn't compromise on it. Mm. That's very different than the fretting the day it comes out. Like who's going to like this? Yeah. I agree with that. It's like a, they're very different. <laughs> you talked about city of black and white. It's probably my favorite opening line of an album. Yeah, with the here we go at it three years later um, uh, yeah. and, and you know there's something so simple about that um but also realizing like oh i, I kind of i'm doing this again even though it's it's going to be different it, it does seem to me that you made that album with live performance in mind is that right yeah we did we did a lot of that record in uh this studio in town all kind of a lot of it was like one take kind of performance thing that was the vibe i was totally on was like Emmylou Harris and Daniel Lenoir and like getting this 
band together and creating these like cool moments in time. And the companion of that, here we go at it three years later, was like actually a response to my first record where this song yeah. called In the Middle where I said, uh, you know, you have one life to write one album and then two years to repeat it. And that's yeah, one of like my the, favorite lyrics. Of yours. <laughs> the sophomore, the sophomore um, album is a real, it's a real thing. It's like a, you do have a whole life to write one and then they're like, cool, that worked. Can you go back and do it again in like a year? You're like, whoa, that's yeah, a lot know, shorter I, time. <laughs> right. And I don't know if you've noticed this though. I, I think for some art, uh, artists, it really bifurcates. There's the sophomore curse which we are all familiar with but then there are other people who make a masterpiece with with their second album right and i would certainly put you in into that category uh regardless of how you feel about that i know how i feel about that that particular album and and uh, there's something about the almost refining the the mistakes and the quote-unquote failures the the lessons from the the first body of work which is raw and has its own yes um beauty to it Speaking of, of that, during that time, do you remember you used to you used to blog? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah. When blog, was blogging, is that still a thing? Do, people, oh, do, the, totally do the kids know what blogging is? <laughs> I mean, uh, fortunately, at theminimalists.com, we're, we're, we have uh, a few million readers over there. So there you go. Uh, th- there's, there's, there are still some people reading uh, those things. But I think I they've, remember- they've, they've morphed into like um, email lists in the music world, kind of. Ah. So you, So you like, it's a little more like sent to them as opposed to someone seeking it out maybe in my world yeah yeah it's it's ephemeral too in a way because like you you can't seek it out then if you've sent it out it's it's only for the people who are sort of in the know i I remember you know this was a a lifetime ago a completely different life i was still back in the corporate world back in dayton and didn't wasn't doing the minimalist thing at all but i remember reading some of those blog posts you're doing that first album was out and and i think you were like just getting ready to put the second one out and and there was something so I, the, the, so true about what you were doing there. There, the seeking, this exploration, and um, I, I think that we we don't always get that from from artists. I mean, now with social media, a lot of that is sort of affected in a way. But but I don't know. M- maybe it's still just it, it, the only way that it comes through now is is in your music. But there was this time where you were you, you were writing these things that were. They were so heartfelt. It was almost like it was uh, a companion letter to what you were creating. That yeah, I remember that. That um, I it was the English major in me. I fond memories of that writing. I would do um, that was prose. I guess I don't know what would you call that. Just yeah, uh, I think it was poetic. It was poetic. It sort of it it, it, it blurred the line between something that was prose and, and and poetry. And it was blogging. It was I don't know. It was it was just it felt. Sometimes things feel true. You know, it's like when yeah. I hear it doesn't have to be a, a fact for something to be true. When I hear Tom York talk about um, I woke up sucking a lemon and he repeats it like four times in, in a song. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what that actually means, but there's something about the way that it fits into the the music there where it, nothing feels truer. Like I feel it down to, to my bone marrow in a way. And I think good music does that. It's It's probably one of the... It, the only uh, outstanding things that humans have ever done is is create music i think <laughs> yeah i i uh i know how the sausages are made a little bit so i think i agree with you about that uh, <laughs> no i mean i i do it is it is art in general is this like this part of our 
human nature that I love that is like um, this creative expression that comes from ourselves. We're creators uh, from a creator. I don't know. There's just this like, there's this un survival part of it that touches on something that, yeah, it's not bound to like a truth. When someone explains a song, sometimes it's frustrating because you're like, if I needed to, if if you can explain the song, then like well, the song doesn't need to exist. Like it's mm-hmm. not, that's not, it's beyond that kind of thing. It's doing something other than uh, a deaf, like here it is, here's the story. And then, you know, sometimes songs do that, but, but to some songs up, they become bigger than those moments. The ones that I love and hopefully the ones even you create, they kind of take on a life bigger than even you intended them to. And, and the lyrics become something bigger than you saw possible in the moment of writing them. Right. And they, they also can take on a meaning that you didn't initially intend, right? Totally. Yeah. That's, um, that's a huge part of what is powerful about music in this like force that it is, is it's, you could write something and I, I'm conscious about that. I think going back to the sophomore album thing, I think one of the flaws a lot of people have in their sophomore record is they have this over importance on them, themselves. They're, they're all of a sudden had the success and they, people are looking at them and they think, Oh, like I am important or like yeah. I'm, and they start getting almost too autobiographical in a mm-hmm. lot of their stuff. So a lot of times when I see sophomore records, they become really self-important or really autobiographical, like so much that it's like you're watching a documentary and documentaries are cool, but like you only want to watch them once, you know, <laughs> you watch one documentary, you're like, that's cool. But, but you're, but you're going to put Braveheart on a hundred times or, you know, whatever that story that you find yourself in becomes more powerful. And I, I think people lose that and they, they forgot that in their first record, maybe they were already doing that. They were kind of allowing this story that other people could enter in and find themselves in and they would live through your music. And I think that's where music gets really powerful is when you, uh, Donna Miller's this guy in town, he talks a lot about when you aren't the hero, you're the Yoda. Like, you know, a lot of sophomore records, you want to make yourself the hero of the story, which you're, you're not as a, as a musician, you're the guy and that the audience is the hero. They're the ones yeah. that find themselves in the story. You're the Yoda telling, you know, leading, helping, like prodding, but um, you're not the hero. It's a fine line because it's simultaneously about you, but not about you. <laughs> yeah. You know? It, it, yeah, it, man. I agree with the, the uh, it is egoic in a way. Like it, it it's, there's, there, I mean, anytime we, we talk about ourselves, it, it is the ego. And that's not a good or a bad thing. I'm not making a value judgment about it. But I think when the ego steps into the driver's seat and, and just slams on the gas, we're in for a world of hurt. How have you dealt with, uh, with that level of notoriety and, and people recognizing you at coffee shops and, and things like that? Because I, I know for me, it, it feels good. It's something I never expected. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I had to stop doing interviews for like three years at one point just because I, I realized it was an unhealthy sort of feeling good. Like, oh, I'm getting validation externally. Like yeah. this is the, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it, but the, the chasing is, is quite problematic. Yeah, I, it is challenging. It was, uh, it's, it's not as bad. Um, you know, I have a level of fame that's, or whatever celebrity or or recognizability yeah. that's pretty like 
awesome. It's just enough that if someone stops me, they probably know my music and they're like, hey man, I really like what you do. And that's it, you know, and it's not like every day, all day. It's just every once in a while, which is um is ridiculous that anyone in their job gets told that. Like no teacher, someone comes like, hey, are you Miss Baker from Waldorf <laughs> Elementary? You know, you wow. You just really are. You're so good at your job. I love it. You know, like music is the most ridiculous thing that anyone at any job stops you and tells you and like, oh, can I take my picture with you? Because, you know, you're such a great third grade teacher. Like that should happen more probably. But um, uh, it was weird. It it was very weird in the beginning. Like one, the self-awareness, because when you walk into a room and the first time someone kind of acts weird and like, oh my gosh. And like, and then draws attention to you, then other people, um, focus on you and it it does create this kind of like weird dynamic that you were never looking for and it is awesome and it's also like really weird and it took me a while to adjust to that it, it I, I remember I had a friend early on in my career who was like hey you're remember how you used to ask people questions like you're kind of not doing that anymore you're just like mm. talking at people and i was like but i'm so important like I, like people always <laughs> wanted to hear me what i have to say and you know like right. people are interviewing me all the time and like i just was like so i i think i had to grow through that season of life of of eyeballs is a weird phenomenon humans aren't meant for that i don't think ultimately i don't this celebrity this fame thing we've created as a society i don't think ultimately is good for humans um and I, right now I have just a comfortable, comfortable amount of people who acknowledge what I do and they like it. And it's, it's nice, but yeah, it's not what it, I don't know. I tried, I try not to take too much from it or, you know, other than, Hey, thanks. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the needing it, I think is when it becomes a problem. And I, I love what you said, because I think what, what you were just talking about there can apply to anyone, right? When we start to, regardless of there's whether or not there's a, a level of fame or, or whatever, uh, if we always think it's about us, then then we're not actually exploring. We're not asking the questions. We're not interacting with the people who matter. We're we're making it, you know, the Joshua Fields Milburn or Matt Carney show all the time, and um, there, there's certainly you know, that's certainly not a healthy way to approach life. I thought maybe we could we could wrap this up. You've I've taken a lot of your time here, but I, I wanted to um, talk about the song that you have out right now called Grand Canyon. And um, there's something you do with the lyric um, in the chorus there with the word canyon that is mimetic of the you know the the canyon itself, right? Yeah. And uh, you you mimetic. create this. I like that word. <laughs> I don't know that word. Well, it, you, you're mimicking a canyon with the is word that, canyon. Is that like the sound? What's yeah? What's the word as English major? I should know this. Where a word sounds like the word like murmur or uh, like onomatopoeia. <laughs> is that is that the word onomatopoeia? <laughs> like your flip flops? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, so like it, what I'm saying is that that when you sing the word canyon, you yeah. you, you put a a long sort of pause in between, you know, longer <laughs> yeah. than anyone. No, no one would pronounce canyon, canyon yeah, that way yeah, unless they were having a stroke, um, <laughs> or unless they were singing a beautiful song. Apparently, yeah. Um, so tell me. Obviously, we're not going to be able to talk about what this this song is about. But tell me where sure. this where where does this stem from? Because 
feel simultaneously like you're highlighting the distance, but also talking about how wonderful a relationship is. Yeah, that was that was a fun night where I was sitting in my studio with a um, buddy of mine named Eli Teplin and um, our friend Trent, who doesn't get credit because you can't copyright a, a song title. Um, <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm, it is true, actually. Uh that's a fact. People people say that all the time on the street. They're like, "Oh, that should be a song." They say a word. I'm like, "Well, you can't really copyright a title because there's a million California girls, or you know, everyone uses all those titles." Anyways, sure. Uh, um, I don't know why I'm saying that, but <laughs> I'm saying that to Trent out there, who if he's listening, you know, he deserves more credit than he got. No, but we're sitting in the room, and I was like, like Grand Canyon. We were talking about Grand. He goes, oh, "That'd be a cool song title," and I was like, "Oh, that really would." But we were fi- working on another song, and. And that night, me and Eli were sitting there, and I was like, oh, Grand Canyon, but what if this was like, you know, not about a, th- a place, but it was like more a metaphor of a relationship. And um, and then that just started the whole thing. And we it became a very rhyme-based song that was really fun. Like the internal rhymes sometimes are, are um, like a method that I really love when they work really well, you don't notice it, but there's a ton of rhymes in that song. And it was just like this weird little puzzle that was really fun that represented this kind of longing to be with someone. And mm. um, tell me why it feels like there's a Grand Canyon between us. And yeah, we ended with like a Grand Canyon and the echo is like, that was my joke of like, Canyon. It's like this, oh. and then we put reverb on it. So it sounds like you're a Canyon. And the other part of that song in the in the bridge where where the dun, there's a little piano solo dun, 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 and I'm doing like ooh yep was actually me imitating coyotes and which I thought was hilarious um, oh, wow. <laughs> just like a vocal like coyote thing uh, reminiscent of the this famous country song anyways that's I was more entertaining myself at that moment but I thought it sounded really pretty too but yeah I love that song it's really simple it's just distilled down it's a weird I like 808s and a pedal steel in one song together. I'd never done that. Um, I don't know anybody that has, but, um, well, I guess a lot of country music does that, but I'd never done it. And I, it was a lot of fun. Are both of these new songs going to be on the new album? Yeah, they're kind of, we're, that's, this is our like first date of the album kind of getting, you know, Hey, here's some, you know, here's me. I'm Matt. It's my new record. Yeah. We're slowly rolling it out. I'm really excited about, um, the plan and the visuals and everything were just, it's like fun to kind of slowly tell the story um, for an album that's coming out next, this spring, actually. Do we have a title for it yet? Uh, We do. I haven't announced it to anyone. Um, Would you like to right now? Let's go. Let's make this a a premiere. It's called January flower. And it's like from this lyric in, in a, in this, in a song that says like a January flower born before it's hour. We were everything pure and so insecure. And um, mm. it was this kind of like thing that's before its time or is a little out of place. And um, my daughter was born in January and uh, we went out to Joshua Tree in January and um, started to make this record. I brought all this gear and the power went out. This It was off the grid and we had nothing to do. We just literally sat by a fire and pulled out a guitar and started writing songs. And I, it reminded me of how I 
began this whole journey into music was just me and a guitar and some friends around. We didn't have a fire. We weren't in Joshua Tree, but it was even a more nostalgic place than when I started. And it really kind of became a, a huge part of this record and like a, uh, it was a foundational approach was like, Hey, me and the, I'm going to, I'm sitting in Joshua tree with just a guitar and my songs and my ideas. And it formed the trajectory of this record. I think that's a beautiful place to end it. Matt Carney. Thank you, brother. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Tell me why it feels like there's a grand canyon between us. Tell me how you're feeling. Cause I can't stand the distance. You know, we started still is enough to believe in us tell me why it feels like there's a grand canyon the stars don't shine right if i'm not with you if we don't align right you know it's an issue come a little closer we can start talking you can come more we can sleep on it Like there's a grand